This is a GRDC podcast. One of the greatest barriers to improving farm productivity in Australia is water. In an effort to better understand and improve water use efficiency, the GRDC, in collaboration with the CSIRO, has spent more than a decade investing in research. The $17.6 million Water Use Efficiency Initiative is one of the largest research projects ever undertaken in Australian agronomy. Southern New South Wales agronomist Greg Condon has been involved with water use efficiency projects for more than 12 years, and he joins me now to talk about the outcomes and the impact of this research. So Sally, we're lucky, based here in southern New South Wales, so with a local farming systems grow group Farmlink, they initiated some work actually on the back of some other smaller projects around looking at how we can, I guess, modernise some of the parameters of water sufficiency. So uh, French and Schultz did a lot of this work in the 80s uh, based out of South Australia and farming systems have evolved since that uh, time from the 80s to now when this water sufficiency updated work was commencing. So we got together as a committee We had a group of growers, some agronomists as myself, and the research group from largely CSIRO. So that involved John Kierkegaard, uh, James Hunt, who is uh, at La Trobe University now, but was with CSIRO at the time, and a number of their technical people, such as Tony Swan. So they wanted to bring together what was, I guess, a key differences around the modern farming systems. So what sort of shape our soils in, what sort of timing influences when crops go in, what sort of crop types are actually growing, even things like what nutrition and how that would influence the benchmark around that water use efficiency. So largely we're growing higher grain yields than what we were in the 80s when the original water use efficiency calculations were done. And we wanted to refine that at a local level and sort of think about not only the core science, but also at a whole farm level. And that's where our local committee came in at a whole farm level. What would that actually look like when some of these improvements in, uh, I guess, technology or genetics come into play and how we can generally lift the bar? Can we really improve our water sufficiency to grow more grain with the same amount or even less rainfall given the climate we work in? You mentioned before that it was a collaboration with the CSIRO. And I understand there was a bit of a challenge to growers and researchers to lift the water use efficiency of grain-based production systems by 10% and that that was exceeded. Tell me about that. Yeah, it really surprised the group around initially our local focus was on things like uh, stubble cover, so what influence stubble cover would have in, say, reducing evaporation over our summer period. But secondly, how summer fallow management, which was a practice we were only just getting into at the time. So if you think back to 12, even 15 years ago, whereas our northern neighbours, as you go to northern New South Wales into southern Queensland, had been doing summer fallow management for a much longer period. So they have the ability and a known ability to store a lot more water in their soils from summer rainfall period and then use that water in a subsequent cropping phase. So the realisation that we could actually start to store a lot more water than what we'd given our soils credit for was probably the most exciting thing that came out of it. So as I said, we knew, we knew about some of the other things like nutrition and sowing time to a degree, but then when that moisture storage occurred, so the summer weeds were sprayed, so a really strict regime around fallow management, so that reduced any soil water loss, but it also added other benefits that previously weren't even accounted for uh, that were thought of, but uh, yeah, things like nitrogen storage 
increased because the summer weeds weren't there using the, the nutrients and then even disease carryover with things like rhizoctonia also reduced because that disease stripe rust for example wasn't being hosted by those weeds over that fallow management period so we have a cascade of effects that starts to kick in when the fallow management program was adopted nationally so not just here in the southern areas but also in western australia on large scale and all of a sudden Water sufficiency benchmarks were exceeded. We had barley crops in dry seasons achieving upwards of 25 to 30% above the known benchmarks. So that was a big realisation. And as the research went on here locally, which I think was about nine years, there were a whole lot of other aspects of whole farm management that tipped out of that work and has really set the platform for where we are today. So what were some of the other outcomes of the research? Well, I guess like as I was talking about the summer fallow work, once we took those summer weeds out of the mix and the opportunity to store water in our region here, our rainfall is quite evenly spread throughout the year as opposed to the north where they get more in the summer. And as we go further south into Victoria and South Australia, they have winter dominance. But what we sort of found is in drier seasons when that spring rainfall, which is really critical for grain field, particularly for crops like cereals, wheat, barley, when we were storing water, the effectiveness of that stored water on soils that we historically didn't think would effectively retain a lot of moisture, so our plant available water holding capacity was sort of okay but not significant, the yield lift from that in dry seasons was significant and it really opened our eyes as to what some of our potentials were. So that was one really big one as was the planting opportunities it gave us. So historically there wasn't a lot of summer fallow weed work done and then when we started spraying those nutrient and moisture robbing weeds out, all of a sudden the planting opportunities for early sowing crops like canola, which ideally goes in in April in the southern systems, southern regions, we could basically go on the calendar not having to sort of wait for rainfall to get the crop up. All of a sudden we're, we're planting into, um, into marginal moisture so the crop had the opportunity to get up and then we then required sort of less rain to get it to those early stages of growth. So that had a lot of flow-on effects for yield and there's been more work done, particularly in canola and, and early sown wheat systems, which is sort of other projects that spun out of this. But it was a real eye-opener for not having the sort of yield potential but also logistics. So on-farm Growers were then able to sort of start their sowing calendars a lot earlier. Machinery was spread over more hectares and even things like frost risk, which we'll talk a little bit more about, but we were able to use a range of, I guess, genetic material that spread that frost risk with earlier sowing times without creating a system where you're putting all your crop in three or four weeks in the start of May into the middle of the month and that all sort of creates a pinch point with frost risk later in the season. So that sowing window was able to be spread out over a wider range uh, given appropriate genetics. So that was probably the biggest eye-opener from the work and as the project went on, as I said, we were looking at stubble to begin with, the, the, probably the planting opportunities that came out of it and then the subsequent lift in water sufficiency. That's been a really significant profit driver for a lot of our clients and growers across the country. Are you able to talk more specifically about the impact on yield increases and the dollar values? Oh, definitely. Again, we focus on canola largely. So if we think back uh, prior to this project being done, and there's been other projects that have come from this work, but this was sort of a catalyst to stimulate broader thinking about how this can be fine-tuned at a research and a farm level. So canola was always sown on Anzac Day, so the end of the month. And then when we started storing moisture, we then pushed that sowing window earlier. And then all of a sudden, the nutrition program around that earlier sowing was then fine-tuned again. So you've got a combination of sowing time, phenology, 
and nutrition largely. Those three things, I mean, disease comes into it as well, but those three main ones drove a uh, significant increase in yield with the emerging genetics uh, with hybrids, for example. So we've seen yield lifts from historically two and a half tonne per hectare was a really high benchmark in canola 10 years ago. It was fantastic. Now we're consistently seeing people achieving on the same rainfall at least beyond three tonne per hectare. So it's been a really significant increase when the seasons are good, people have been able to get upside. And even when the seasons aren't so good in some of our dry years, like 2017-18, we had crops like barley and wheat Largely, if we could do two tonne in a pretty dry sort of season, we'd be excited. But there were growers adopting these techniques that were um, pushing three tonne per hectare. So we've seen the scale of influence of this work is at the high rainfall years. So we've got the systems in place to capitalise that and the genetics to go higher. But conversely, in the drier seasons, in those lower, I guess, yield potential years, we've seen a lift there as well. So that wasn't predicted at the start of the work and it really highlights the value of doing research over a long period of time. So a lot of trials largely done on a single crop or a single issue in a single season. So I guess the seasonal conditions dictate the outcome of that result. Whereas this trial, and there's other ones that that have sort of come since, the farming systems trial here locally, which is the next round of some of this work, But the water sufficiency trial went for nine years. So we went through a number of droughts, we went through a number of wet years, and we had a couple of average seasons in the middle. There was a number of frosts. And that just gives growers and advisors a lot of confidence around the data because that's what happens in real farm scenarios. So you ride that roller coaster of different seasonal conditions and you're aiming to create a system that is sustainable in the face of those seasons. So this work gave us a lot of confidence to see what happens at the bottom end, at the top end, and then in the middle with the range of agronomic levers that the growers and agronomists have to pull. Where are Australian grain growers placed now on a world scale in terms of sustaining crop production in the face of declining rainfall? Yeah, I guess in the face of declining rainfall, but also temperature influences. So water sufficiency generally always had a focus specifically on moisture or rainfall, but we've also seen the influence of temperature probably have equal or more influence. So for example, people might have some stored water, but if we have severe heat stress at the end of the season, that can overlay some of that impact. But this work, I guess it's really about that sustained profit side of things. So in the face of rising costs and margins becoming tighter and tighter due to a whole range of factors, growers uh, have the confidence to sort of maintain sort of bottom end yields to sort of help that cost of production so they can plan quite confidently around rainfall deciles is the way we do budgets now. So you might look at a range of scenarios pre-planning as to what soil moisture is already in the ground and then do some predictions around long-term rainfall, around sort of decile three, five or seven, and then create some budgeting outcomes from that. So which we never did in the past because we didn't have the confidence to say that we could have, say a decile five season we would achieve 4.5 tonnes of wheat, for example, would be sort of unknown. It might be sort of two and a half to sort of three and a half. But now because of this work and all the other whole farm practices that have been adopted, it really puts Australian growers, I think, at the forefront of dryland farming because of this efficiency. So, And it's come with a whole other range of tools, you know, machinery, number one, and the skill set that the growers have to actually pull this stuff off. So there's a lot of management and support networks that are around this with advisory services and growers themselves being able to, I guess, constantly adapt to some of the research that comes out. But it's created a really stable base. You mentioned earlier frost risk, so expand on that a little bit. 
One aspect of the trial work that came out was stored water was creating opportunities for earlier sowing. So particularly James Hunt did a lot of, I guess, groundbreaking work on early sowing of wheat. So largely wheat would be planted as a spring crop. So it would go into late April, but largely in April to flower in our region generally late September, early October. So if you planted that spring wheat too earlier, it would be exposed to frost risk in mid-September. Uh, James did, he actually looked at genetics that we were using winter wheats, for example, for grazing crops and how that early sown winter wheat, which actually would flower later, could sort of create greater yield opportunities by sort of, I guess, extending that planting window and also other genetics that would sort of fit that same sort of early planting using that water to grow longer season varieties, but then conversely not expose them to frost risk at the other end of the season. So it's one thing to sow early, but also you do not want to expose yourself to cold temperatures as those crops are filling. So that was another valuable piece of research that tipped out of the work to show that if we've got this extra stored water, we can grow longer season varieties, particularly in some of our more arid areas, some of our drier rainfall zones, but also have those same crops flowering and maturing at a time equal to or a little bit later than some of the main season spring varieties. And then canola's probably replicated that with a lot more success. So the genetics in the wheat world haven't quite sort of got to that stage yet. Obviously, the private sector sort of manages that aspect of it. So the spring varieties are still largely our highest yielding varieties in sort of medium and low rainfall areas. But as you move to higher rainfall zones, that's probably where the longer season genetics have had more uh, more success. But canola is really been a game changer in the way the genetics have dovetailed into this project. So you've got that extra stored water, you've got that early planting opportunity, you've got less disease, you've got stubble cover helping store the water. So there's a whole range of things. And then the nutrition and I guess the disease in crop around that has changed as well. So canola has been in better seasons, really been able to convert that stored soil water to grain and into profit. So that's that's been a big part of it. And canola leads into the rotation sequencing part. So this was at the end of the work, uh, particularly Tony Swan championed this from CSIRO, looking at pulses and their role in this whole, um, I guess, rotation influence, not just around water sufficiency, but about also creating background soil nitrogen rather than relying on synthetic nitrogen, which then would sort of follow with canola, for example, that pulse canola rotation where we have basically some stored moisture but extra soil nitrogen, uh, top that up with synthetic nitrogen. Again, with that extra stored soil water, we were creating higher yield opportunities again. So that was a really important part because it took into consideration weed management. So grass weeds are a big cost to growers. So that was a sort of another whole farm spin-off of the work where the resistance of grass weeds like ryegrass could be sort of managed and benefit the rotation and the subsequent profit with the sequence that came later with, say, canola, then wheat. So that was uh, pretty exciting, those rotation influences, and that has now been extended into the, the latest version of this work in our region with New South Wales DPI and, and CSIRO continuing this farming systems theme around looking at crop sequences, which incorporates all the water sufficiency works, which had grazing crops and this early sowing and the stubble cover. So that was that was really important just to not sort of think about early sowing going to expose you to more frost risk, but also think about the minimisation of heat risk and then the genetics that is required to pull that off successfully and then the crop sequences to make it work as well. You touched on this just a little bit then, but I guess where to now? That's a very long-term research initiative with lots of great outcomes. So how do you take that forward and create that lasting impact for Australian grain growers? 
Well, I guess the, the impact of the water sufficiency trials were massive. So we've talked about that quite a lot today, the, the lift in yield, but also the lift in farm or the change in farm management practices around summer fallow management, the priority that, that's now given around sowing time, calendar sowing rather than sitting around and, and waiting for an autumn break to get crops in around, I guess, nutrition to match this higher yield potential is another aspect. And we want to be able to achieve that nutrition through additional support. So that means we can't do it all through synthetic sources. So we've used pulses to support that. That whole farm aspect of the water use efficiency has springboarded the farming systems work, which is now going on in our region. Again, the same teams are involved, but with some support from New South Wales DPI across four sites. And they're looking at profit over a rotation. So what does it actually mean for a range of crop sequences with some of these management influences that are adopted and how does that play out with economics across a range of seasons so if you remember we talked about the water use efficiency trial went through a few droughts some wet years some average years and i think farming systems research needs to be able to do the same to create that credibility and then have the robust numbers that actually show what was achieved and then sort of help with modeling as well so they can bring that complete package together That was New South Wales agronomist Greg Condon from Grassroots Agronomy. I'm Sally Maguire and thanks for listening. Listening.